You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 17 About a month subsequent to the events which have been related in the last chapter, Mrs. Vance and Ada Lawrence sat alone in the drawing room of their splendid home. Ada had been reading, but the volume seemed to have little interest, for it had fallen from her hands to the floor, and she was reclining on a luxurious divan, looking bored and sad, while now and then a low sigh rippled across her coral lips. She was very lovely, being a pure blonde with red and white complexion and hair of golden tint. Her face looked flower-like in its delicacy, gleaming out from the somber folds of her morning dress. Mrs. Vance, sitting opposite, absorbed in a voluminous billow of crimson crochet work, looked over at her and started as if she had only just begun to realize the girl's exceeding fairness. How pretty she is, she thought apprehensively, and how startling her likeness to her dead sister. Good heavens, what if Lance should see the resemblance as plainly as I do and fall in love with her for Lily's sake? The thought which now presented itself for the first time was startling in its probability. She began to think that it was time for Ada to be going back to school. It was dangerous to keep that fair flower face in Lancelot Darling's vicinity. Ada, said she abruptly, how old are you? Sixteen, answered the girl sleepily, without lifting her drooping golden-brown lashes. Almost old enough to come out in society, said the lady. You will have to hurry and finish your education. You mean to graduate, of course. When are you going back to school? I do not expect to go back at all, was the startling reply. Not go back, said Mrs. Vance, affecting extreme astonishment. Papa is so lonely now that Lily is gone, said Ada, choking back a sob, that I have not the heart to leave him. I will stay with him and comfort him. But my dear, you so young, so unformed in your manners, surely you will not sacrifice yourself thus. Let me advise you to go back to college another year at least, urged Mrs. Vance. A little annoyed at her persistence, Ada sat up and looked across at her. Mrs. Vance, said she coldly, do you happen to know that if I took your advice and returned to my boarding school, this house could no longer be a home for you? Why not? asked the lady, a little fluttered. Do you not see? said Ada pointedly. You are not related to papa at all. You are a young and handsome woman. If you and he were living here alone together, with no one but the servants, people would couple your names unpleasantly, so you comprehend that it is better for me to stay and play propriety. Ada, I do not believe you care whether I have a shelter over my head or not, said the widow, stung into anger by the pointed speech of the girl. I should be sorry to see anyone houseless, answered Ada calmly. But to own the truth, Mrs. Vance, I must say that I am sorry that the same roof has to shelter us both. I do not like you, and I am honest enough to tell you so. Because I am poor and you are rich, said Mrs. Vance, affecting to weep. It is not that, said the young girl. It is not that you are no relation to papa except by marriage and that you forced yourself here and claimed a support when you might have earned one for yourself as many another widow has done. No, it is not for these things, Mrs. Vance, for I might still like you in spite of them, though I might pity your lack of true independence. But I dislike you because I believe you are a false, deceitful, unprincipled woman scheming for some secret end of your own. What have I ever done to you, Ada, that you should denounce me thus, sobbed the widow. Nothing. You would not dare to, for my papa would turn you out of the house if you did, replied the girl spiritedly. But do you think, Mrs. Vance, I cannot see your present drift? Do you think I do not see how shamelessly you are courting Lancelot Darling and trying to win him from poor Lily, who has been dead these four months scarcely? Perhaps you want him for yourself, Mrs. Vance was beginning to say sarcastically, when they were interrupted by a slight rap on the door. Enter, called out Ada. It was a servant with a message for the widow. There's an old woman out in the hall, Mrs. Vance, who says she has brought the samples of lace you desired. 
Ada, who was watching her curiously, wondered why the angry woman grew so ghastly white under her rouge at the reception of so commonplace a visitor. "'Say that I am coming,' said the widow to the domestic. In a moment she arose with a muttered apology and followed him into the hall. Old Haiti stood there patiently waiting with her basket of laces on her arm. "'Bring the laces up to my apartment,' said the lady, with as indifferent an air as she could assume. When they were once safe within the locked room, Mrs. Vance turned furiously on the old lace vendor. "'Did I not tell you not to come here again?' she said. "'I have nothing else to give you.' "'Oh, Mrs. Vance, don't say that,' whined the old crone piteously. "'I did not mean to come back. I did not indeed, but I am so poor, and the gold you gave me is all gone.' "'Liar! There is enough to last you a year,' said Mrs. Vance angrily. "'Oh, no, ma'am. Not with my old man down with the rheumatism and all my starving children around me. The money all went for medicine, food, and clothes. It melted away like the new-fallen snow,' whined Haiti. "'So I said to myself, I will go back. I will tell the kind lady how poor I am, and she will give me more money.' "'I told you I had no more to give,' almost shrieked Mrs. Vance in her desperation." The money I gave you was presented to me by Mr. Lawrence, and he expected it would last me a long while. I am a poor woman, living here on the rich man's bounty, and I have nothing more for you, absolutely nothing. Oh, but the pretty lady is mistaken, said Haiti doggedly. She has money, or if not, she has jewels. Would you rob me of my few jewels, you base old wretch? Necessity knows no law, retorted the old creature, grinning hideously. I must have help for my sick husband and starving children. If you will not help me, I must go to Mr. Lawrence or to Mr. Darling. These sly words had their intended effect of frightening Mrs. Vance into compliance. She went to her jewel box and began hurriedly to toss over its glittering contents. Here, she said, turning round with a handsome brooch in her hand, will this satisfy your cupidity? But old Hades eyes roved greedily over the sparkling gems in the casket. She shook her head. I could not sell it for a quarter of its value, said she. It would not relieve my necessities. Add some other trifle to it, lady. That bracelet, for instance. The bracelet was a very handsome one in the form of a serpent with glistening emerald eyes. With a groan, Mrs. Vance put it into the greedy working fingers. You will strip me of every valuable I possess, she said, and then, when I have nothing else to give, you will betray me to my enemies for the sake of gaining a reward from them. Lady, you do me cruel injustice, was the hypocrite's meek reply. I will never betray you while you so generously divide your all with me. But if you keep coming with such demands as this, I shall soon have nothing to divide with you, said Mrs. Vance. Aye, but the rich man will soon supply you with more gold, said the harpy, cunningly, as she turned to take leave. It will be a good while before I get any more money from Mr. Lawrence, so you need not be in a hurry to return for it, said the widow, letting her unwelcome visitor out the door and shaking her fist after her departing form. As soon as her heavy footsteps ceased lumbering on the stairs, she hurriedly changed her house dress for a walking costume of plain material and simple make. She then put on a small black hat, tied over her face a thick dark veil, and descended the steps, letting herself quietly out at the front door. Once in the street, she paused and glanced hurriedly up and down. No one was in sight but the crooked form of the old lace vendor going slowly along a few blocks ahead of her. Mrs. Vance set out to follow the old woman, walking briskly a few squares until she came within half a block of her. She then slackened her pace and went on more slowly, keeping herself invisible but never losing sight of her prey. I will track the beast to its lair, she said to herself, and then we will have our reckoning out. Mrs. Vance hurried on at a steady pace, keeping her enemy fairly in sight, but aiming to keep too far in the background to be recognized herself. She had a long walk ahead of her, but she did not mind it, for her excitement was so great that she was insensible to bodily fatigue. 
She was filled with a raging anger against Ada Lawrence, whose pure, true instincts had so clearly fathomed her meanness and littleness of spirit. Added to this was her hatred of old Haiti Leverett, mixed with an abject fear of the old woman's power against her in the possession of her guilty secret. As she turned corner after corner and traversed street after street, her mind was busy revolving vague schemes by which to rid herself of the greedy and dangerous old creature who began to hang upon her shoulders heavily as a veritable Sinbad. At length, she began to see that she was coming out upon the outskirts of the city. Old Haiti, a little ahead of her, kept on at a swinging pace, hastening her footsteps as she found herself nearing home. Mrs. Vance kept on steadily, too, feeling determined to find out the old woman's home if she had any. At last, they reached the gloomy old stone house with its high, forbidding stone wall. Even Mrs. Vance, courageous as she felt herself to be, was conscious of a pang resembling fear as she contemplated the place. But when Haiti was entering the gate, she felt a firm touch on her shoulder and turned to meet the smiling gaze of the beautiful widow. "'You see, I have overtaken you,' was her smooth salutation. "'You have followed me!' exclaimed Haiti, with a savage scowl of rage and surprise commingled. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Vance coolly. "'Woman, woman, are you not afraid?' cried the old witch, pulling her visitor in and letting the heavy gate fall shut between them and the outer world. "'Have you no dread of my vengeance? Remember, a word from me can consign you at any moment to the prison cell, yet you dare to incur my wrath.' "'I did not follow you to provoke you to anger,' said Mrs. Vance, deprecatingly. Two motives prompted me to discover your residence. First, I desired to see your sick husband and starving children in the hope that I might do something to benefit them. And secondly, if you intend to make periodical calls on me for hush money, it is better that I should come here and bring it than for you to call on me. Your frequent visits on the slight pretext of your laces will not continue to deceive anyone and may draw down suspicion upon me. Already Miss Lawrence suspects me of something. She has plainly told me so. So I repeat what I have already said, that it is much safer for me to come here than for you to go there. Come in then, do, said Haiti, with a grim politeness that showed she was not much imposed on by the lady's profuse explanations. Come in, and I will introduce you to my family. If you are really anxious to benefit us, you shall have the opportunity. She walked on down the grass-grown path as she spoke, and knocked at the house door. There was the sound of a key grating in the lock, then the door swung open and disclosed old Peter Leverett, standing on the threshold. Mrs. Vance, who kept close behind Haiti, started back with a cry of fear as his huge misshapen body and bristling red hair met her gaze. "'That is my old man,' said the lace vendor, coolly. "'I see you do not like his looks. Well, he is not handsome, certainly, but he is very useful in other ways.' Her malicious emphasis on the last words sent a shudder of fear through the veins of the visitor, but she did not betray her alarm. She followed the couple quietly into their rude and poorly furnished sitting-room, and sat down in the chair old Haiti placed for her. Old Peter retired from their company at an almost imperceptible sign from his wife, and left the two together. "'Well, you have seen my husband,' said the hostess, coolly. "'You perceive he is a very miserable object, one calculated to strike fear into the heart of a fine lady with such delicate nerves as your own. My children, I am sorry to say, are not at home today. They would have remained if they anticipated the honor of your visit, but they are all out begging as I have been.' Old Haiti had thrown off the tone of whining meekness which she often adopted with Mrs. Vance, and showed herself now cool, impudent, and crafty. Mrs. Vance noted this change with alarm. She began to think she had perhaps erred in risking her head in the lion's den. She now said in a tone of meekness calculated to allay the spirit of defiance she had raised in the old witch, One word, Haiti, as I think you told me your name was. Does that old man, your husband, share the secret you hold against me? I told you once, was the answer, that the secret belongs to me alone. Yes, but as a man and his wife are one, said Mrs. Vance cajolingly, perhaps you would not count him as anyone but yourself. 
But you see, it would make much difference to me. So I ask you again, does he know that secret? And I decline to answer that question, answered the old witch craftily. Truth to tell, old Peter was not aware of the secret which his wife assumed to hold against Mrs. Vance, for Haiti, in her miserly avarice, had wished to share its golden fruits alone. But the cunning old creature saw in the anxiety of the lady a menace of danger to herself, and thought it as well to encourage Mrs. Vance's doubts in that direction. I decline to answer that question, she repeated with a fearful scowl. I may as well go then, said the visitor, rising. She was too much frightened at the loneliness of the house and the murderous looks of its inhabitants to remain longer. But, Haiti, I wish you to understand plainly that you are not to enter the house of Mr. Lawrence again. If you must have more hush money from me, you can send me a line through the post office, and I will come here myself and bring you what I can raise. Will you promise to do this? I will promise to do as you say if you will keep your word, was the sullen answer. But if you fail to come with the money within twenty-four hours after I write you, rest assured I shall come after it at the grand house. I will not fail you, was the firm answer. And now unfasten the door and let me go. How do you know that I will let you go? asked Haiti, tauntingly. This is a fine old house in which to hold you prisoner. It has old stone dungeons, iron-barred windows. Mrs. Vance shuddered, but she answered in as fearless a tone as possible. You have no interest in making a prisoner of me, for in that case you would get no profit out of your secret. You will not kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. No, no, chuckled Haiti. But perhaps you are laying some plan against me. You wish to have me arrested. It is not likely. My safety depends on yours. No, no, you need fear nothing from me. Come, come, it grows late. I am very thirsty. Give me a drink of water and let me go. The water was procured, and the visitor drank and departed. She walked hastily over the lonely road, past the scattered houses, and then hailing an empty hack that was passing, entered it and was driven rapidly homeward, her thoughts, if possible, being more gloomy than before, for now the dread of old Peter Leverett was added to her fears of his wife. She had started out to follow old Haiti with black murder in her heart. She had not believed in the story of the sick husband and children, but had expected to find the old crone alone. Heaven knows what would have happened if she had, but instead she found the strong, hideous old man whose leering looks had struck terror to her heart, and she now believed that he also was cognizant of the fatal secret which was fraught with such danger to her. Her thoughts and feelings were anything but enviable ones as she walked up the steps of the brownstone palace she called her home. As she passed through the hall, she saw the drawing-room door ajar and heard voices. She tiptoed to the door and peeped cautiously in. Lancelot Darling was there, his handsome head bowed over the couch where Ada half reclined, listening to a poem which Lancelot was reading aloud. They looked cozy, comfortable, and supremely contented to the jealous eyes that glared steadily upon them. She made no sign, however, but went on to her room, with a tempest in her heart, which, however, did not prevent her from subsequently descending to the drawing-room, where she set herself to work by every beguiling art of which she was mistress to while away the unconscious young man from the side of the beautiful Ada. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chambers Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.